Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. In this week's message with Tom Hughes, we continue our study of the book of Daniel in chapter 7. We see Daniel has a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in bed. He sees four different beasts come up from the sea. What exactly do these mysterious beasts represent? Let's find out. Also, just as I look at this, I want to remind everybody here that next Sunday night, it's the Sunday before Christmas, uh, we will not uh, have uh, the evening prophecy Bible study. The worship team is going to be practicing for Christmas Eve services. Uh, please don't get mad at me. Um, I, it, it is what it is. We've done this every year for a number of years. And then the following Sunday, I'll, this goes for you online, please don't get mad at me. Um, we'll see if we can find something to post for, for Sunday night. Uh, the following week, we will not have Sunday night, also because we are heading to the New Year's Eve prophecy update, and I want to encourage as many people as possible to come out for that. That'll be Tuesday the 31st. So, and then we'll be back in the book of Daniel after that, and then Jim Markell will be here after that. 2020 is packed. If you want to know what's going on in 2020, uh, just the things we put online so far, you can go to hopeforourtimes.com. Click on events and you'll see the things that are happening here and the things that are happening elsewhere that we're involved with. But uh, we are here right now, uh, Daniel chapter 7 tonight, until New Year's. Preferably we'll be raptured, that first class ride will come, but just in case, we're still here. Uh, let's check out a couple of things. Uh, when we see this from Daniel's eyes, we'll see, look what's coming with the kingdom of Antichrist and uh, so forth. But look what's coming uh, just from the signs that we see right now. Jerusalem Post. Jewish prayer has returned to the Temple Mount. Uh, uh, listen, I know from what the Bible says, and you are Bible prophecy people, there is going to be a temple that is going to be built on the Temple Mount. And uh, the Jews are going to be worshiping there. We know that because of the way that things unfold. The Antichrist is going to demand to be worshiped in that temple and on down the list with the other prophetic things. So when I see things like this, we are progressing toward that as we watch it. And there are more and more people in Israel that are saying, hey, we're going to make a deal. A part of a deal that's coming is going to be a temple on the Temple Mount. We're watching all the political problems in Israel going to another election. Have you seen that? Uh, so you were, listen, all the religious talk is really starting to get in here with the, with the things that are going on over in Israel politically and also with any deal that's going to be made for a peace plan. So I'm just saying Jesus is coming soon. Uh, then there's this. This is from Ynet News. Iran is building weapons storage tunnel in Syria. Satellite images reveal. How many of you are familiar with Isaiah chapter 17? and the prophecy of the destruction of Damascus. That's what the Bible says. Uh, Damascus is the capital of Syria. Uh, the destruction that's described in Isaiah 17 has not happened yet. It's a prophecy of the last days. Uh, it's closely timed with Ezekiel 38. We don't know the exact timing of it. Uh, Bill Salas puts it in with the Psalm 83 uh, war, and, and people agree or disagree with that. But regardless... I know, because of Isaiah chapter 17, that the Israeli military is going to destroy Damascus uh, in one night. Because the Bible says in the evening and in the morning, Damascus is gone. Uh, that's, um, uh, as I, I think of that, and you look at Damascus, again the capital of Syria, and the things that have been going on with Syria, with Russia being in there, and Iran being in there, and all the different terrorist attacks that come out of there, it's going to happen. And the only reason I can really say it's going to happen is because the Bible tells me it is going to happen, and it's going to happen in the future. But we keep seeing these. These are all signs to look for and go, man, we are so close. Prayer on the Temple Mount, this going on in Syria. And then there's this, UFOs. Mysterious lights hovering over Mesa skies, Sunday night puzzle residents. Um, have you seen all of the ufo reports of sightings over the last couple of years they're increasing in frequency and intensity uh, the navy saying yeah there's a few problems out there and then other people then i read a report the other day saying no the navy was 
hiding their own secret weapons, so now they're just saying they were UFOs. But you're looking at all of these things. Um, I, I don't really buy into um, extraterrestrials coming to planet Earth. Um, I watched those movies back in the 1960s and 70s. Anybody else see those? Okay. But I do believe this, that quite likely what's happening is these are demonic apparitions of some sort, um, would be my guess as I look at it. But ultimately, and Gary Stearman has some things that he has shared with me that would take it even a little bit further. Um, but uh, when I look at it, and, and the rapture is going to take place. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but have you noticed that increasing in the news is hatred towards biblical Christianity? You can say you're a Christian as long as you aren't a Bible-believing Christian. The day is coming when the persecution against Christians will increase. America, we still have freedoms. Um, but you can see it in universities. Uh, you can see what's going on in the media. And when the rapture takes place, Christians are going to be out of here. That's what the Bible teaches, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There will be a catching up, the rapture. Um, with that... What will be the explanation that the global world leaders, AKA, or, or also with the Antichrist, are going to be able to use to explain the disappearance of all these Christians? I believe, and again, this is just um, uh, um, uh, a conjecture, I guess you would call it, because we don't know for sure, but it, it makes sense, so I'll just put it that way, um, that there has to be an excuse in the way everything is shaping up, it appears to me the the excuse that the Antichrist will give is, look, these Christians were a problem. You all knew they were a problem. We tried to get rid of them. They got in the way of the global system. Um, they voted for the wrong people. Uh, all that kind of stuff. They, they demanded righteousness. And so these, the, these beings from this other planet had to come and take them out of here. And uh, you, you look, there's got to be an explanation. What will the explanation be? I don't know, but uh, listen... Satan has to have a plan in order because he knows the rapture is going to take place. And you look at this, and then he's going to put his man, the Antichrist, in power. So we see these things, but these things are increasing more and more. Um, Anti-Semitism uh, is increasing also. However, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the anti-Semite, how many of you heard of him? Uh, he was uh, in England. He was... Uh, running for the leadership of England. Here you go, anti-Semitism and Brexit shatter Corbyn's dreams of global far-left uh, revolution as Boris Johnson was re-elected, apparently in a landslide. I was, reading, I was reading the reports. They're going, this election is too close to call, too close to call. It doesn't look like Johnson's going to win it. And all of a sudden, I read the next day, it was a landslide. So I'm thinking... Who is reporting it was too close to call the whole time? But I look at this, and, and uh, this is a problem here for the leftists, the, the radical left in this country that are trying to take over Congress and, and uh, bring in Sharia law and all kinds of wild things. Um, this is a problem uh, for uh, George Soros and the like because this over in England... Uh, it, it's the problems against the globalist movement that Soros is a part of, and so many in America are now a part of trying to bring into uh, uh, America. And uh, so I look at this, getting rid of, or, or an shattering the dreams, I love that, of the global far-left revolution. Uh, this is the problem that uh, people have with Trump. Uh, this is the biggest problem. Um, and then also... Jeremy Corbyn was a major anti-Semitic uh, person. Um, he hates the Jews, the nation of Israel. And I look at this and I go, victory. But this has people in America that are Democrats very concerned about the coming election because they're thinking uh, this makes it look like uh, Trump has a, a much better opportunity to win than they were hoping for. Um, then a few people pointed out how much Boris Johnson and Trump look like each other. There's two blonde hairs. They both got a lot of blonde hair, <laughs> even if one's actually gray underneath. Um, Palestinian prime minister calls Jesus a Palestinian guerrilla fighting occupation. You, you know why, don't you? Okay, Jesus was born. What city was Jesus born in? 
Bethlehem. Bethlehem is in the West Bank, right? So, you know, I'm not going to get into the 1967 lines and the 1947 and 48 lines and all of that, all right? The, the border lines over in Israel. But Bethlehem is in Judea, and the uh, Palestinian leadership is saying, um, therefore, since Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jesus was actually one of the original Palestinians. The whole thing is absurd, except that Jews, prior to Yasser Arafat, were known as Palestinians. Did you know that? Because they looked at the land as being called Palestine or Israel, uh, but then, excuse me, Yasser Arafat hijacked uh, the, the whole thing and made it a political issue uh, that has now gotten so many people upset over in the Mideast that Egypt doesn't like what's happening. Um, they realize the so-called Palestinian cause is a problem. Jordan realizes it's a problem. Saudi Arabia realizes it's a problem. Say, look, we need to move forward with peace because the way you guys are doing it over there uh, with the leadership currently, Mahmoud Abbas, the PA, uh, for, but, but that's where this whole term, a Palestinian guerrilla fighting occupation. Fighting against the whole thing's just absurd. But the UN promotes this stuff. You know, and, and you just look and go, man, half the world believes these things. Um, and then there was the, uh, the attack at the kosher market that involved the kosher market in New Jersey. Did you see that this past week? It was a shooting, then it ended up being a barricade at a kosher market, and it appeared that they just accidentally ended up at the kosher market. They did not. Uh, it was a man and a woman. They intentionally went over there, and it actually turns out it was a, uh, um, an anti-Semitic attack. Uh, they killed a couple of people at the kosher market. Um, I watched one video that was, uh, it was recording somebody in the neighborhood, and the, this person was just yelling, we never had shootings like this until the Jews came here. And it was these Jewish people were the ones who were shot. You're going, well, this is interesting. But just watching this spin, uh, the people who shot uh, these Jewish people were first reported as being white supremacists. It turns out they were black supremacists part of the, the black Hebrew movement, which, by the way, I'm going to have Don Perkins come and speak on that some night in January or February. Uh, uh, Don being African-American, he's gone to churches and said, look, this is a cult, and the Jews are Jews. There are black Jews, there's Asian Jews, there's, um, you have the Ashkenazi Jews, which are primarily all European. Uh, you have the Sarfitic Jews, um, but there's this, this movement that I, I talked with Pastor Henry at, at Beaumont about this just recently because he called me about it, and I said, it's very dangerous movement. And I said, call Don Perkins. He has entire DVDs and messages on this. It's very dangerous, and, uh, but it's actually an anti-Semitic um, movement also. And you look at it and you go, man, this is nuts. Okay, now, here's this. Um, how many of you have heard of Rick Wiles? I am confident that I'm going to get blasted by Rick Wiles followers in the next uh, week over this. But Rick Wiles of True News, an anti-Semitic rant, claims impeachment inquiry as a Jew coup. So uh, Rick Wiles has almost 400,000 followers on his regular YouTube. He's a, he influences a lot of people. Uh, Anti-rapture. Um, anti, uh, uh, his replacement theology, and you look at this and you go, uh, this is just really one of the strangest things. The reason I'm bringing this up to you is because some of you probably watch True News, and you need to be careful of some of the things that you are watching. Rick Wiles has uh, got a strong personality, gets lots of, lots of different guests on there, sometimes they're prophecy guests, but I can tell you right now, uh, he and I do not agree on this. I do not agree on replacement theology. Um, I believe that the rapture is going to take place because the Bible clearly tells us, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, comfort is there if you're going to go through the tribulation. You're going to be going through God's wrath here on earth. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
That doesn't sound exciting to me. It doesn't sound comforting. But I wanted to bring this up to you because I look at this anti-Semitism has a stronghold in the churches in the Western world, America and Europe. And you need to pay attention to that because at the root of anti-Semitism in the church is the Bible teaching of replacement theology. So it, it's understanding, you, I'm sure you've heard a lot lately, people saying, hey, just ignore, the, um, just ignore the Old Testament. A lot more churches are starting to say that. Don't do it. Uh, it's hard. How do you have a full understanding of the Bible without understanding God's covenant with Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob and his people? If God can't be trusted to keep his, cover, his covenant with the Jews that he made for the land and that the Messiah would come through, he'd be a Jew, then how can you trust God to keep his covenant with anyone? Uh, and people say, well, yeah, but there were some really bad Jews. Listen, you're probably a really bad Gentile. You know, you, you look at it, I mean, what makes you better? But it's this category, and these are areas that we really need to be uh, careful uh, with. With that, I am going to do a shameless promo right now, a commercial, right? Because I want you all to share this video uh, from YouTube or uh, Facebook. So, Chris, can you show uh, the New Year's Eve video? Hey, listen up. I want to invite you out to a prophecy update, our annual New Year's Eve prophecy update, coming up on December 31 at 412 Church. Uh, think of this. Uh, back in 1957, how different our world was. 1959, how different our world was. And then you fast forward from there to where we are today. You look at the nation of Israel, uh, the city of Jerusalem, which the Jews did not have back in 1957 or back in 1959. And then you look at technology. Man hadn't even been on the moon yet, but right now we have more technology in our phones than the computers that were used to land Neil Armstrong on the moon. You look at the United States of America, Russia, Iran, uh, Turkey, and all that is going on in Syria and the threats against Israel. Listen, that was an impossibility back in 1959. You look at it now and you go, wow, the Bible is about ready to be fulfilled. Folks, we have a lot to talk about. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I want to invite you out to join us, 412 Church, five o'clock on New Year's Eve. We're gonna have our annual New Year's Eve prophecy update. Folks, this is unbelievable. I believe that Jesus can come at any moment and you need to be here. I can't wait to see you. God bless. So I can't wait to see you. So this is what I'm gonna encourage you to do, all right? Does anybody in here have a cell phone? Anybody at all? All right, take your cell phone. You go to my Facebook, which is Tom Hughes. You'll see my mug so you'll be able to figure out which Tom Hughes. And you can share that video with your friends, with family, with whoever. You can also go to YouTube, A Hope for Our Times YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel. That's what people are watching right now with us. The YouTube channel, go to Hope for Our Times. The video is on there. Click on it and share it from there also. The goal, listen, we have the greatest message in the world. Jesus came the first time to forgive us of our sins, and Jesus is coming again. And so I encourage you to go for it, and you can partner with me and partner with the message here that way. And you know what? That's free. That's all you got to do. Just click, 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 share, share, share. Pretty cool, huh? And then, uh, But with that, thinking of this, um, as we look to what's coming, the, the things that we just looked at in the news this past week, uh, what we're going to be talking about here in New Year's Eve, uh, and then what's coming from Daniel chapter 7, or the perspective of Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 is an exciting chapter. Uh, one author noted the images in these chapters are liquid and dreamlike, and some even nightmarish in their visual expression. Uh, they make you feel as though you are stepping into another world where natural laws don't apply. Everything seems surrealistic, visionary, and puzzling. If you've read C.S. Lewis and you get the imagery of the different animals and, and those movies, you start to get a good idea. If you can have that in your mind as you go through Daniel chapter 7, I'm pretty confident that C.S. Lewis had read Daniel chapter 7 as he thought of some of the creatures that he uh, wrote about and that he uh, developed. But putting the pieces together in Daniel chapter 7 can be a little bit difficult. 
uh, mainly because not all of the pieces are here. Uh, but Daniel, not only are they difficult for us, they were actually more difficult for Daniel than they are for us today because we have history behind us. And we also have an advantage that, that nobody else in the history of the world has had until uh, this generation that we live in. So what's happening in Daniel chapter 7, he, he has a dream. He's going to take us into the dream. And he talks about the different visions that he had. Daniel had a hard, I'll put it in perspective, Daniel had a hard time understanding what he saw in his own dream. Understand this. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel was able to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was and the interpretation of it and be dead on, right? So Daniel's pretty good at this stuff. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, I believe it was, uh, where Daniel uh, sees chapter 4 or 5, it's with Belshazzar, and you have the handwriting on the wall. Remember that chapter? And, and King Belshazzar, his knees started to rattle together. Remember, the Bible says that. He was so scared. What is it? What is it? Daniel gets called in. He says, Belshazzar, this is what it means. You're finished tonight. And he was finished that night. So Daniel doesn't have a problem interpreting things. But he's having a very hard time interpreting his own dream. Uh, about the prophetic remaining chapters of the book of Daniel, John uh, Walver writes, the visions of Daniel provide the most comprehensive and detailed prophecy of future events to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. David Jeremiah said, among the scribes who copied the Old Testament, the seventh chapter of Daniel is considered the greatest chapter of Scripture. Uh, this chapter, the, or the place where we are tonight, is about the future. It takes us into the past, but it's about the future, and I believe in the not-too-distant future. Uh, David Jeremiah went on and said, all of our modern futurists who sit in the think tanks of the nations can project their warnings about holes in the ozone, depletion of natural resources, misuse of nuclear capabilities, but they are unable to give us a clue to the ultimate future of mankind. But Daniel does. And anyone who does not believe in a supernatural Bible has a tremendous problem with the truth of this chapter. I love it. Chapter 7, verse 1. We're not looking at very many verses. I'm going to do my best to get you out there for ice cream on time tonight. Chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. So the first thing we have in verse 1, Daniel takes us into the past. He's taking us into a dream he had sometime in the past. In this, A, this dream is from Daniel's past. Now again, we recall who Belshazzar was. He's the one with the shaky knees, saw the writing on the wall. Okay, here's the thing. This is how far back this dream goes. Uh, verse 1 tells us during the first year of the reign of Belshazzar. When Belshazzar had his dream with the, or, or his vision of the writing on the wall, that was his 14th year. So Daniel, he's in the way back time machine. He, what he did, verse 1 tells us that he wrote these things down for us. Interesting. So he takes us into the way back thing. Belshazzar's in power in his first year, and Daniel has this crazy dream and these visions. He's going, what on earth am I seeing? So the dream is from Daniel's past. B, the dream was recorded for us. Notice verse 1 says, uh, at the end of verse 1, then Daniel wrote down the dream telling the main facts. He didn't tell all the details that we couldn't understand, but he gave us the main facts. He, what he did, the Holy Spirit had Daniel write down the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to know. Uh, so we get what we need. Um, when you think of the book of Daniel, later on in the book of Daniel, Daniel had a lot of visions that he didn't understand. Again, I find it interesting because he totally got what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. He totally got what, what uh, Belshazzar saw. But the, only, the, the things that God was showing him personally, 
he's going, I ain't getting this. Uh, so when we think of this, uh, I think of Daniel chapter 12, where Daniel is told different visions that he was having. He's told by an angel, and Daniel is sitting there, he's asking the angel, uh, in the context of this whole conversation, I don't understand what I'm looking at. I don't understand what I'm seeing. And he asked the angel, will you tell me what I am seeing in these visions that I have? Daniel was told by the angel, Daniel, that is not for you to know. You're not going to get it. In fact, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Uh, this is interesting. Daniel didn't get it. Seal the book. The book of Revelation is exactly the opposite. Did you know that? The book of Revelation means to unseal or to reveal. So in the Old Testament, Daniel's told, shut up the words, close them, it's not for you to know. Later on in Daniel chapter 12, the Bible tells us the words, Daniel, are for the people living in the last days, during the last days. In fact, let me read it to you. Do you mind if I read it to you? I'll get you out in time for ice cream. Go your way, Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. For the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. The prophetic words. Daniel doesn't get chapter 7 where we are tonight. He doesn't get chapter 12. He doesn't get chapter 9. He doesn't get them. They're not making sense to him. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. Verse 10. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But the wise will understand. You know what that's referring to? During the last days, uh, people who don't know the Lord, don't want to know the Lord, they're going to continue in their sin, and they're, not, they're going to know something is wrong. They're going to go, something is really messed up with this world, but they're only going to increase in their desire to sin more. So the wicked will continue to do wickedly. However, the wise will understand. Uh, the angel is letting Daniel know that there's a group of people in the last days that are going to open up your book, Daniel, and they're going to have the aha moment. They're going to be able to look at the book that will be unsealed, the book of Revelation, during the last days. And during those days, Daniel, your words and the words of Revelation, those people who are looking for the coming of the Messiah, the words are going to be revealed to them, and the wise in the word will understand. That's it. God wants the generation that is alive when the events of the second coming of Christ happens uh, to be able to understand what is going on. That's Bible prophecy. That's what God wants for us. These words are not hidden for us so we can't know. These words are revealed to us to a generation, the need-to-know generation. There's been no generation before us that has needed to know these things. We're living in a time when we need to know. Um, so number one, Daniel takes us into the past. Number two, Daniel takes us into his dream. Let's read the rest of this to verse 8. Daniel spoke, and he said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So remember, this dream was years ago. This is way back when Belshazzar was in his first year. Ninety years old was Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den. So this dream happened a long time before, but yet it's about something in the future. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, and he had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, the second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. 
It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Verse 8, I was considering the ten horns. And there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in the horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth-speaking pompous word. So what is going on here? This, is, this to me is, is so cool because the imagery, I know what the imagery is, right? Um, and you will too if you don't yet. So in Daniel chapter 2, remember the, the vision again, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And Daniel had to tell him what his dream was and explain it to him. So what did Daniel see? He, he, or Nebuchadnezzar see, Daniel explained it to him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Remember that? Let me get out of your way. You're the head of gold, the king of Babylon. Uh, you're awesome. But your kingdom's going to end. And then you have the silver chest, and that's the Medo-Persian empire, uh, which is in power um, at the... Uh, when Daniel, the, the kingdom that was in power when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Um, the Babylonian kingdom was still in power when Daniel had his dream and Nebuchadnezzar had his. Uh, then the Greek empire was represented by the belly and the thighs of bronze. And then the Roman empire represented by the iron legs. Remember that? Remember what else? And then it had the toes that were partly iron and partly of clay. That was the Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay. Now on the right, this is Daniel's dream, Daniel chapter 7. You have the lion with the wings, and then you have the various animals that are in here, and each one of them, uh, it, it coincides with the kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Now here's the thing. When Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, he saw the kingdoms from man's point of view. Man's point of view is, my kingdom is awesome. The next point of view, the Medo-Persian Empire, our kingdom is awesome. The next point of view, the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, my kingdom is awesome. The Roman Empire, I am the great Caesar, right? My kingdom is great. That's man's point of view. From God's point of view, uh, that's what Daniel sees. He sees God's point of view on these kingdoms and it has these weird-looking creatures who are vicious empires, devouring flesh, breaking in pieces. They were dreadful, and they were terrible. Man's point of view, we're awesome, Daniel 2. God's point of view, the dream that Daniel had. Same kingdoms are being described in both sets of dreams. So Daniel sees a stirring of the great sea, uh, verses 2 and 3. Um, with this, uh, this points to the four winds or the four points of the compass, um, north, south, east, and west. Uh, Book of Revelation calls it the four corners of the earth. Uh, people will say, see, that's just proof. The Bible even says that the earth is flat. Um, gosh, I cannot believe how many people believe this stuff. And right now, there goes another blogger blogging away at me. Um, the Bible when the Bible says the four corners of the earth, it's not talking about a square like this or a rectangle. It's simply talking about the four compass points, the north, the south, and the east, and the west. When the Jews are gathered from the four corners of the earth, it's talking about throughout the round globe, uh, uh, the round earth. Um, but the great sea is the Mediterranean Sea. And you'll note that each of the empires in Daniel's dream, border the Mediterranean Sea. However, this goes beyond just the physical description of the Mediterranean Sea. Although these empires are from that region, they also speak to the sea of humanity, the four winds, not just the empires around the sea. It's worth noting that the Bible also uses the term uh, sea as a metaphor of the, uh, the Gentile nations. In Psalm 89, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, you rule the raging of the sea. This is the Lord. Lord, you rule the raging of the Gentiles, would be the way of interpreting this. Not just the physical sea. Um, 
When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. To put this together, this is what we have. Out of the sea of humanity comes world empires that border the Mediterranean Sea. As the masses of humanity are being blown by the four winds of heaven via political strife, uprisings, wars, bloodshed, and as the nations are in unrest, these kingdoms have all been rising into power. Again, from man's perspective, these kingdoms are wonderful. From God's perspective, these kingdoms are ugly, they devour. When you look at the global system that is coming, you hear the talk, the political talk right now, what do you hear? This is wonderful. If you're a believer in God, you are the problem. Uh, we need this globe. So that's man's point of view. God says that's a horrible point of view because each one of them is putting man at the top. Uh, the Roman kingdom, you have Caesar at the top. You have Alexander the Great at the top. Uh, each of these kingdoms, you, you have their leader. It was Babylon. It was Nebuchadnezzar. I am the great king of Babylon. Look at what I have built. So is that. God says, no. Globalism, the movement of the last days that Daniel refers to in just a minute, um, is grotesque in the eyes of the Lord. But out of the chaos of the world events, the, the blowing of the winds, um, we have the stirring of man's kingdoms. So the first one we have here, I'll go through these quickly. We have the lion, verse 4, and it has two wings, and uh, is given a man's heart. Uh, man's heart comes from this Hebrew word, labab. It refers to heart, understanding, and it refers to your mind. Uh, this is the only beast that's referred to as having a man's heart. It seems to have a little bit of compassion. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar at least had some compassion on uh, some of the Jewish people. He liked Daniel a lot. And so this is representing uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Also, this is a lion that has wings. And regarding that, uh, significant, this is significant because the national symbol for Babylon was a winged lion. And archaeologists have discovered that the Ishtar gates of Babylon show two winged lions guarding the city. So you have the lion. Uh, you also have the bear in verse 5. Um, the bear is slower than a lion, but it's stronger and much more crushing. The first kingdom, again, it's the lion. The second kingdom is the bear. This is significant because the bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire, um, and although it moves slower, when it catches the lion, it is crushing, it is overwhelming, uh, it, uh, and it would overwhelm other nations by their superior size and strength. Note also that this bear, it tells us here in verse 5, suddenly there's another beast, the second like a bear, raised up on one side. So the Medo-Persian Empire is two, but it was the Persian Empire that was the dominant one. And so this is raised up on, uh, uh, on one side. This bear also has three ribs in its mouth. It devoured Egypt, Lydia, and Babylon. Uh, and in fact, if you go back to history and you read, it was Cyrus who devoured um, the same one who released the Jews. It's also Cyrus who devoured uh, the, the Lydia kingdom. And he was powerful. He was strong. He outsmarted his opponents, but he was like a bear. Uh, the next kingdom is the leopard. And uh, that's verse 6. And is this too much history for you all? Okay, because I'm trying to get us through to the ice cream. So I'm just going to move through this stuff. Um, so the third beast it leaps out of the sea of humanity like a leopard springing upon his prey. This represents uh, the Greek empire with Alexander the Great. Uh, we're going to get a better understanding of Alexander the Great uh, in the future, but it's, it, 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 he was amazing. By the age of 28, he had conquered uh, the known world. And he's thinking, I don't have anything else to conquer. Can you imagine that? At 28 years old, I'm still trying to conquer Hemet, and I can't even do that. And I'm getting old. Daniel 
he's prophesying this, or he has this dream that prophesies of these kingdoms. Uh, the Greek empire was still 200 years into the future. And yet Daniel's able to prophesy this. And we're able to look at history and go, wow, this, this is absolutely amazing. There are people that say, uh, this is just by chance, the book of Daniel had to be written afterwards because of the prophecies that Daniel had about kingdoms that were still in the future that came about to be. Secularists will tell you that even, even religious historians at Bible colleges and seminaries will tell you Daniel had to have been written later. It must have been written later because it doesn't make any sense. Um, you could say that Daniel could have predicted that the Medo-Persian Empire was coming because uh, he has the dream, the first year of Belshazzar, 14th year of Belshazzar, uh, the writing is on the, all, on the wall and uh, the kingdom ends, right? So he could have looked at political things, said, ah, Medo-Persian Empire's coming next, but he couldn't have possibly looked at the Greek Empire 200 years in the future and said, this is what's going to happen and they're going to be like this leopard just going around devouring with this super incredible speed of Alexander uh, the Great. Also notice this about the leopard. It has four wings and four heads. When Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was split and given to his four different generals. We'll get into that in, in the future also. Uh, but you look at this, and you look at the predictions of the Roman Empire which came to pass, and then he has the prophecies about the final empire, the globalist empire, with the Antichrist at the top of it. Listen, as every prophecy in the past was fulfilled, the one still coming in the future will be fulfilled. I know this because God never misses. He will never, ever, ever, ever miss. And he also tells us what's coming so that we can know it. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. One of the great reassurances that we have that Jesus is coming again is the proof of the 100% accuracy of prophecies from the past. And speaking of this, Isaiah chapter 46 says this, Remember this and show yourselves men. I like that. Show yourselves men. Recall to mind, you sinners. Remember the former things of old. I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Say, my counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Every prophecy that God gives will be fulfilled exactly as the Bible says. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted. Are you stubborn-hearted? Who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. I look at that and I say, God's going to do it. I hear replacement theology say, God's done with Israel. God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove it to you. You're stubborn hearted. You're rebellious. You're a sinner. You don't believe me. I'm going to have the Messiah is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for my glory, Israel, and I'm going to do it. And I hear these things from people who refuse to accept any prophetic thing regarding the Bible, and I think it's just an awful shame that that is what is happening within churches in America. In fact, the majority of churches have, have gone that way. But God is going to do everything he purposed in his heart, just like he says, I said it, and therefore I am going to do it. Uh, the last beast here is the terrible beast um, uh, of, that just goes around devouring everything. That's describing the Roman empire. It's indescribable, it's horrific, it's frightening. No other animal in the animal kingdom can be compared to this beast. It devoured, it smashed, it broke in pieces. It's exceedingly strong. It has huge iron teeth. 
This fourth beast, as I mentioned, is the Roman Empire. It was Rome that was known for severe cruelty. It was Rome that crucified Peter. It was Rome that beheaded Paul. It was Rome that banished John to Patmos. It was Rome that burned the Christian. It was Rome that slaughtered the Jews. It was Rome that butchered men, women, and children. It was Rome that crucified the Lord. However, we also note that this beast has ten horns. So what Daniel has seen is not just the Roman Empire that was, he's seen the Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire that is still coming. Of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the ten toes of iron and clay. Here we have ten horns. These ten horns, they coincide with the ten kings or leaders of the world during the last days. Also spoken of in the book of Revelation, the ten horns, Revelation chapter 17, are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet. In other words, at the writing of the book of Revelation, they had not received their kingdom yet. The Roman Empire of old was in power at that time. These ten kings hadn't risen up yet. Uh, they will, but they receive authority, in other words, it's coming, for one hour as kings with the beast. Who's the beast? That's the Antichrist. These are of one mind, and they will give their power, and they will give their authority to the beast. This is the kingdom of the Antichrist. It is still yet future. The Roman Empire, for all practical purposes, ceased some uh, 1,700 years ago or thereabouts. However, Daniel, last verse again, verse 8, I was considering the ten horns, ten kings we know from Book of Revelation, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. The eleventh horn you read later in Daniel 7. Daniel, yeah, Daniel 7. Before whom the uh, three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were the eyes like eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Uh, with this, we'll close with these last thoughts. Uh, Daniel takes us into the rising of the antichrist uh, the term another horn simply means another king a mouth speaking pompous words uh, this king speaks blasphemies against god this king rises out of the 10 he's an 11th and um, uproots three of the 10 what we can know from this is that these 10 are going to be ruling simultaneously together and we know that that has not yet happened but we know that it is coming. We know that this kingdom that's coming with these ten rulers is also out of a revived Roman Empire. Now, there's two different theories on this. I won't go into a lot of detail. Again, ice cream is only a couple of minutes away. Um, but one theory that's taught is all ten kings come out of Europe uh, based on the uh, Western Empire of the, the old Roman Empire. Um, uh, actually, there's a few different theories. Another one is the Eastern Empire, which I just ignore that altogether. Uh, and then there's the theory that the Ten Kingdoms are actually ten different uh, globalist uh, uh, breakdowns of planet Earth. That happens to be what I believe, that it's the Earth being broken down into ten different kingdoms. Um, I might be right, I might be wrong, but I do know this, that it's going to happen, and as these things start to unfold, um, I think the longer we're here, uh, we're gonna, we're, we're, we, we can see things. We can see the attempts to divide up the world into ten different kingdoms right now. Um, who is the Antichrist? Who is this, this little horn that rises up and uproots three of the kings? I don't know. Uh, it's Boris Johnson. Uh, no, it's not. You guys are looking at me like I'm serious. I was just testing to see if you were paying attention. How many of you are still awake? I'm just checking. Okay. I'm going to have to edit that out because I know people are going to get online. They're going to say, see, I knew he was the Antichrist. Um, no, it was just a bad joke. Um, day of social media, I should be more careful. Um, but who is it that is the Antichrist? I don't know who the Antichrist is. But I do know who Jesus Christ is. And as I, as I watch all of these different things developing, uh, man, I, you can see which way all of this is going. I would also, when, when Jesus, think of it like this. When Jesus 
was born. You get to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew's account um, after Jesus was a child, right? Uh, when the wise men come from the east bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were also known as magi. The term magi actually meant king maker. Uh, uh, going all the way back to the Persian Empire, the days of Daniel, by the way. Uh, they were king makers. They were the ones who would recognize who's king. So those magi came from the east, gold, frankincense, and myrrh they brought, and they recognized Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah. They were king makers is what they really were. Not we three kings, but they were king makers. When I look at Revelation chapter 17 and Daniel chapter 7, we have the ten toes, or the Revelation chapter 17, you have ten kings who give their power and authority to the Antichrist to rule basically over the world. You've got to have one person at the top of it. Um, I believe those are actually king makers. Um, they're, they're placed in these different positions. I believe they're elitist. Uh, if, you, if you look at how the world operates right now, you have George Soros's, and you have these people that are looking for, they have control stuff. Uh, they want to control this world. Uh, Soros makes no bones about it. I've read that to you, some of his quotes just last week. So you look at that and you start to go, this makes a whole lot of sense. They're king makers ruling over these territories. They're elitists. They have a global system and they have a global agenda. The Bible tells us it'll be that way. And they give their authority. They make this one the king over them. This is what I've noticed also. Satan copies everything that God does. He's always a copycat. He's not an originator. And you start putting all of these things together and you say, man, it's amazing. We are close. So with all of that, closing with three super fast takeaways. Uh, number one, this is just a reminder, the God who has wiped out past empires is able to wipe out your past. We need forgiveness, don't we? Amen. He wipes out our past when you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, the God who has mapped out the future is able to handle your present and your future. We get discouraged. We wonder what in the world's going on. Lord, help me. And on down the list, um, he's able to handle you. Uh, he can take care of you. He already has your future planned. He has your present planned. You can trust in him. Third takeaway, while life may seem puzzling like some prophecy, it is unfolding according to God's perfect plan. So what do you do? You hold on. You look up. You say, Lord, make sure that I trust in you. The temptations are turned to the right, turned to the left. Trust in your own wisdom. Don't trust in your own wisdom. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.